Hey, I'm Christopher Schiefling. Thank you so much for joining me for Auscultation, a podcast in search of a humanities-based practice of healthcare. Today, we're listening to the poem, A Visit to the Asylum, by Edna St. Vincent Millay, a Pulitzer Prize-winning writer and activist from the early 1900s, most known for her provocative work and personality. A Visit to the Asylum by Edna St. Vincent Millay Once from a big, big building when I was small, small the queer folk in the windows would smile at me and call and in the hard wee gardens such pleasant men would hoe. Sir, may we touch the little girl's hair? It was so red, you know. They cut me colored asters with shears so sharp and neat. They brought me grapes and plums and pears and pretty cakes to eat. And out of all the windows, no matter where we went, the merriest eyes would follow me and make me compliment. There were a thousand windows all latticed up and down, and up to all the windows when we went back to town, the queer folk put their faces as gentle as could be. Come again, little girl, they called, and I called back, you come see me. Some thoughts on mental institutions. Malay's description of the asylum is very consistent with the Kirkbride model for mental institutions that was common in the mid to late 1800s. Her portrayal is likely also familiar to modern readers because the Kirkbride facilities are the basis for most popular cultural references to mental institutions. Thomas Kirkbride was a 19th century Quaker psychiatrist who developed and disseminated an architectural design for mental institutions. His plan was inspired by the theory of moral treatment, which held that psychiatric illnesses can be cured within an environment that was humane and structured. It is not just from the child's perspective that it was a big, big building. The large size was fundamental to Kirkbride's plan. He wanted patients to have single rooms with 12-foot-high ceilings, and he felt that the staff should live on site as well. Just as windows are a prominent feature of the poem, Kirkbride considered them an essential and therapeutic element because sunlight, views of nature, and good ventilation were thought to aid in healing. Similarly, he favored an agrarian location to provide relief from the unsavory elements of the city, as well as to provide opportunities for patients to work on the land. Of note, manual labor on the farms was to be completely voluntary. Presumably, the grapes and plums and pears were grown by the patients who we see tending the hard wee gardens. The initial facilities designed by Kirkbride reported rates of recovery as high as 75%. 
This success prompted the construction of over 70 so-called Kirkbride buildings across North America from 1848 to 1910, mostly with public funding. However, starting in the late 1800s, due to a variety of reasons, including a dramatic rise in patients causing overcrowding, cuts in public funding, and critiques of moral treatment, the noble ideas behind Kirkbride's plan were abandoned. In their stead, there was a return of punitive measures, restraints, and radical treatments, like early forms of electroconvulsive therapy and lobectomy. Due to several exposés written by former asylum patients, by the early 1900s, the Kirkbride buildings, despite their native idealism, were increasingly associated with inhumane conditions and hopeless patients. Modern culture sustains this haunting legacy through references like the Arkham Asylum for Batman's villains and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which was set and filmed in the Oregon State Hospital, an actual Kirkbride building. Interestingly, the biographical history of the poem spans this shift in perspective on asylums. Malay was a child in the 1890s when the optimism of the Kirkbride plan had not yet faded. However, the poem was published in the 1920s when the image of the Kirkbride buildings was already tainted. Knock, knock. Who's there? Doris. Doris who? Doris stuck. So come through the window. Knock, knock. Who's there? Eudora. Eudora who? Eudora must still be stuck. Unlock the window. Knock, knock. Who's there? Window. Window who? When do we get to stop listening to your bad window jokes? Some thoughts on windows. Windows, both literal and figurative, are a driving theme of the poem. The image of the patients looking out the windows repeats three times. This repetition echoes the physical repetition of the thousand windows on the building's facade. Additionally, the word windows ends four of the lines. This positioning at the end of the line not only gives further prominence to the word, but also mirrors the architectural location of windows at the edge. By describing her childhood perspective of the asylum, the narrator offers a unique figurative window into the mental institute. If we put aside our biases and look at what the narrator says about the patients, it is overwhelmingly positive. She describes them as smiling, pleasant men, as gentle as could be, with the merriest eyes, and they give her flowers, pretty cakes, and compliments. In turn, she literally gives them voice at two points in the poem, which is particularly noteworthy given the voicelessness usually associated with this population. Moreover, their gifts of asters, grapes, and plums are splashes of purple, a color strongly associated with royalty. She does, of course, realize that these men are not normal, acknowledging that they are, quote, 
queer folk. However, she does not focus on their differences, but rather on their kindness and attention. The child's window of the asylum likely gives a very different angle than what most readers have of such places. One of the most powerful aspects of the poem is the eeriness that arises from the discrepancy between her description and the House of Horrors stereotype of mental institutions from popular culture. Many lines deliberately stoke the reader's unease. This is particularly strong with the mention of the shears so sharp, the request to touch her hair, and the eyes that seem to stalk her. Even the contrast of the big, big building and the small, small child can seem threatening through a certain lens. It can be tempting to dismiss the child's perspective as naive and to see the poem as a tale of yet another haunted asylum. However, the deliberate ambiguity about which of these figurative windows has the correct view of the mental institute challenges us to consider the flaws of our own perspective. The image of the literal windows is particularly ripe with ambiguity. First, Malay describes the windows as, and I quote, all latticed up and down. While this could refer to a decorative grill, it can also seem as imprisoning bars. This tension of possible incarceration tightens with the final line, where the girl invites the men, who may or may not be able to leave, to come visit her. This closing invitation can be seen as either a welcoming acceptance or a cruel irony. Second, the repeated image of patients at their windows creates a series of disembodied heads. In a certain light, this can be very haunting. But it also places a humanizing focus on the patient's faces. We see the men smile with the merriest eyes and hear them giving compliments. By pitting these two views of the asylum against each other, Malay brilliantly reflects the historical shift in attitudes towards the Kirkbride buildings, from the initial idealism to the lingering notoriety. Why are windows bad at lying? You can see right through them. Why are windows good to have in the office? They increase transparency in the workplace. Some parting thoughts. There was so much in this poem that I couldn't get to, so I'll just leave it with a few closing questions. Who is the man who takes her to the asylum? And why would he even bring her there? How do the pop culture myths of the asylums impact the care of people with mental illness? Where are the windows in our own lives, and what do we see? A Visit to the Asylum by Edna St. Vincent Millay Once from a big, big building when I was small, small, the queer folk in the windows would smile at me and call... And in the hard wee gardens, 
such pleasant men would hoe. Sir, may we touch the little girl's hair? It was so red, you know. They cut me colored asters with shears so sharp and neat. They brought me grapes and plums and pears and pretty cakes to eat. And out of all the windows, no matter where we went, the merriest eyes would follow me and make me compliment. There were a thousand windows, all latticed up and down. And up to all the windows, when we went back to town, the queer folk put their faces as gentle as could be. Come again, little girl, they called. And I called back, you come see me. A Visit to the Asylum by Edna St. Vincent Millay was published in her book, The Harper Weaver and Other Poems, in 1923 and is now part of public domain. You can find show notes for this episode at anauscultation.wordpress.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, follow, or share to help others find out about us too. Until next month, be kind and live the questions.